Hey, you're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, Matt Dean preaches from Romans chapter 8 in his sermon titled, All Things for Good. Grace Auburn, I'm excited about our time together today. For the past several weeks, we've been walking together with the idea of Jesus being our living hope. On Easter and the days following, we looked at part of Peter's first letter to the church. As this COVID situation continues to unfold, it's been fascinating and frustrating. For most of us, there have been moments of joy and sorrow. People are adapting and yet really ready for life to resume to whatever normalcy is possible. People are hungry for good news and for stories of hope. Clearly, we could all use a good laugh and probably a good cry. There are so many people that are hurting, sad, angry, and really just ready to be done with this whole thing. So today, if you are watching as a Christ follower, as someone who believes in Jesus and what he has done, I want to equip you through his word for life so that you are clear-minded and hopeful on the best and worst of days. If for some reason today you're watching and you don't yet believe in who Jesus is, I encourage you to listen and see that God is trustworthy and able to work in your life, to redeem your life. Today, we are first looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I want to read a few translations of this verse for you as we think about this. The Apostle Paul writes this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Another translation says it this way, And we know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Here's one more translation. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, as we think about all three translations of that same verse, there's something to know, there's something to remember, there's something to consider. We are to know the certainty of God's character and capacity to work for good. We are to remember that God works in all things. We are to consider that this promise of all things is for those who are called by Him, for those who love Him. So this is an affirmation of the character and capacity of God to be trustworthy and strong in an infinite number of details. But it's also a moment of invitation for those who have yet to believe. If there's ever a moment to know that you know that you know, this is it. It's clear that God has offered His Son Jesus that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. It's clear that God has made a way for salvation by grace through faith and trusting in Jesus. It's clear that God has to open the eyes of people to see their sin and to see His grace as sufficient. And then this thought that God works all things for good, this promise isn't for everyone. It's for people that belong to Him, who have been called from sin and death and into life and peace. I want you to think about a clock, not not a digital one, but an old one with inner mechanics, with a minute hand and an hour hand and a second hand. 
We can see the face of the clock and we know what's happening. We can tell what time it is. We can see and therefore because we know what time it is, we trust what we see. But if you turn that clock around and take off the back cover, there is no way you could know what time it is. All you can see is movement in multiple directions, some fast, some slow, and while somehow you know that it is a clock, you really don't know what time it is or how, in fact, it is all working together. How many of you see things in your life and in the world moving in multiple directions? If we're honest, maybe we can't see how all this is working or will work. Maybe you can't see how bad things, difficult things, unfair things, untimely things could ever work for good. Maybe you can't see how injustice and evil and pandemics and politics and personalities and personal tragedies could ever come together for good. Take heart. God does see it all. He's not bound by space or time. He is everywhere. He knows everything. He is all-powerful. He is infinitely perfect, infinitely strong, infinitely good, infinitely worthy. He is holy beyond human description. He speaks and it happens. He sustains the universe by a word and he loves you. He sent his son, Jesus, for you. He made a way where there was no other way. If today you don't believe, remember this. God has demonstrated love. God has made a way. God knows you. And there's a call to come into the light, to step forward towards the only one who holds it all together. This is what the Bible says in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Maybe that's your first step. Even though you don't have answers for all of your questions, you can take a step of faith towards God as you trust in what Jesus has done for you. The promise that God is working all things for good is for those who trust him. It is for those who love him. It brings comfort to those whom he's called. It brings powerful perspective to those who love him. This idea that all things working for good is not an explanation of why bad things happen, but it is a promise. This idea is not experiential knowledge, but it is propositional knowledge. We, we don't always see how this works out, but if you love him, you can trust him. And if all things haven't yet worked out for the good, then we are still believing him for the good to come, for the details to one day make sense. Listen to the greater context in Romans chapter 8. If you need encouragement, 
If you need to remember what salvation means, if you need good news, if you are struggling in sin, if you need to remember your identity, if you are afraid, if you need to know you have a perfect father, if you are suffering, if you are sad, if you are doubting, if you are becoming impatient, if you are weak, if you are questioning God's love or God's sovereign goodness, and I want you to listen in. This is Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. (sighs) Let that sink in. Throughout the Bible, we are reminded to remember God, to recall who He is, to reflect on what He has done, hold on to what he has promised, to see that he has and he will fulfill his purposes. Habakkuk, a prophet in the Old Testament, helps us see sometimes people have a hard time with God's timing. Habakkuk's first line, how long, O Lord? But the Lord's response to him reveals his plan, his ability to work through good and bad, to work through suffering and injustice, to work through people, to raise up leaders, even work through plagues. Habakkuk gets humbled and in the end exalts the Lord, declaring his trust in God despite his suffering and difficult circumstances. He says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Some of you may be asking the question, how long, O Lord? But can we say like Habakkuk, come what may, God, I will trust you. God, I will rejoice in who you are. Today, will you choose to rejoice? Learning to trust God is based on his good character. So, So do you know it? Will you choose to believe God? We have to remember who he is and what he has done and what he has promised to do.
Jeremiah, another prophet in the Old Testament, he wrote poems expressing both grief and faith, articulating sadness and trust. Listen to his words from Lamentations chapter 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I read a story this week about another pastor who experienced heartbreaking tragedy in his life. And as he tells the story of losing his son, this is what he said to his congregation. I cannot make my son's death fit into any passage or make sense out of it in any way. It is impossible for me to see how any good can come of it, yet I realize I only see a part. And then he referred to what he called the miracle of the shipyard and said, when you look at a modern ship, it is almost all steel. If you take any individual part and you take that part and put it in the ocean, it will drown. And we know that to be true because steel does not float. So you take the individual pieces and they all sink, but because of how the pieces are put together, when the last rivet is put into the ship, the ship floats against all odds. And then he said, taken by myself, my son's death is senseless. Throw it into the sea of Romans 8:28, and it sinks. He said, I can see no good in it. But when the master ship builder has finally finished, even this tragedy will be built together to serve God's unsinkable purposes. The sea of Romans 8:28 only makes sense when we remember the one who calms the wind and waves. It only brings comfort when we remember the one who is sovereign, who is sacrificially good, who alone is able to cause all things to work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen to this. There are no, zero, no permanent tragedies for the believer. Our circumstances do not get the final word. Jesus does. So trust him, believe him, Return to Him. Give your heart to Him. So this, we call to mind, and therefore we have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, Lord, I pray that we would hold those pieces in faith and the things that we do not understand, the things of great sorrow and sadness we would give to you and we would entrust into your sovereign goodness as we look to you to bring about the redemption of all things. Father, we trust you. We, we honor who you are and your unique power to piece all these things together for good. Lord, we do trust you today. We do love you today. We thank you for calling us 
out of darkness and into light. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or ways that we're in planning on reopening and gathering again for worship, you can go to our website, graceauburn.church. We hope to see you soon.